change management, digital transformations, business agility. Everybody's doing it, but many are failing at it. Tune in today and find out why and what you can do about it. Welcome to The Thinking Leader, brought to you by Red Team Thinking. Bad leaders react, good leaders plan, and great leaders think. Each week, you'll get new ideas and insights from business executives, military experts, and innovative thought leaders to help you lead more effectively and better navigate your complex world. Now, here are your hosts, best-selling business author and top-rated leadership speaker, Bryce Hoffman, and former RAF Wing Commander and Business Agility Coach, Marcus Dimbleby. Welcome to episode 42 of the Thinking Leader Podcast. This is going to be a most excellent episode. Shout out to all the Hitchhiker Guide fans out there. Is this what we're talking about this week, Bryce? Seriously? <laughs> no. no, this is Seriously? not what we're talking about. I had <laughs> to. I of course you to. did. Of course you did. All right. Had to be done. No, I have something very serious to talk about. Come on then, hit me. The thing I want to talk about is actually just a, a colossal screw up by a global brand, KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken, part of the Yum Brands empire, which for those who, who didn't see the news stories, on November 9th, the anniversary of Kristallnacht, the, the beginning of the, the Holocaust in Nazi Germany, KFC sent out a message through its mobile app to all of its uh, fans and, and customers in Germany saying, it's Memorial Day for Kristallnacht, exclamation point. Treat yourself with more tender cheese on your crispy chicken. Now at KF Cheese. KF Cheese. Dear me. And the response? Well, the response has been obviously, understandably, outrage uh, from, from the Jewish community in countries around the world, but especially in Germany. And, and just in, incredulity from, from branding experts and marketing experts about how, how could a company a big global brand like KFC allow something like this to happen? And the answer is really simple. Mm -hmm. And it's a textbook case of, of why we say don't outsource thinking. And when we say don't outsource thinking, it, we are often talking about not outsourcing thinking to expensive uh, consultants. But the problem in this case was that they relied on a bot that they have programmed to look at the calendars of every country in the world for national observances and then create notification content for their mobile app automatically tied to whatever the local celebrations and observances are. Now, supposedly, someone was supposed to check this and didn't. But what this speaks to, Marcus, I think is, is I really want to unpack this because there's so much actually going on here. One is... Yeah. You know how this happened. Some, some executive wanting to meet their targets or their cost-cutting targets, or at least look like a hero for doing so, said, you know, why do we have, how many people was it probably? Two or three people at most yep. sitting around, probably getting paid a, 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 you know, a modest salary doing this manually. And they said, this is great. We can automate this. We can have a, a, an algorithm written that will go and, and scour the, the internet and figure out what the holidays are in each country and the observances in each country. And then 
generate content, and we can save ourselves a hundred thousand, two hundred, maybe even three hundred thousand dollars, you know, by getting rid of these people, and then we could get a couple of interns to look at this before it goes out, and didn't spend one second after they had that idea. You can bet, thinking, is this a good idea? What could be the unintended consequences of this idea? And if this fails, how would it fail? Yeah. Because I, I, I think it would probably take anyone with a reasonable amount of intelligence, maybe 10 seconds to have figured out, well, the way this fails is the computer latches onto some inappropriate date, like say the beginning of the Holocaust, yeah. and then generates some incredibly offensive content to tie to that. And it gets out before it's checked and we, destroy probably tens or if not hundreds of millions of dollars of brand equity. It's madness, isn't it? I mean, what next? Bargain buckets for Ramadan? I mean, this is the danger of outsourcing thinking to, you know, these machines, these quick win systems that people believe they are, but they're not because while we have automations, while we have bots and every time someone says bot, I get a shiver. I've never yet met a bot that does what it says it's supposed to do. But you've got to have a human in the system at some point. Right. You can't just hand off these things. You know, the whole algorithm needs to be written. The automation needs to be programmed. If you just randomly allow these things to go off and do what they do, then these errors are going to surface and often with explosive outcomes like, like we've seen. It's, I mean, it's usually embarrassing. It's usually insensitive. And it's totally unacceptable because, as you said, 10 seconds of thought by anyone with half a brain cell could have gone, hmm, what, what if these things surface and we, we end up offering the wrong thing to the wrong people on the wrong day? It's, it's not rocket science. Right. And, you know, I, I do want to talk about the reliance on bots because it's a great example of uh, we get into things like automation bias and stuff. Yeah. But I, before we even get there, I, I want to talk about why why you see so many examples and this is this isn't the only one i mean almost every week if not every day you see examples of companies just doing colossally stupid things that again as you said anyone with half a brain who spent a few minutes thinking about it would say oh that's probably not a good idea to do that and and yet it happens all the time and it happens because as we say in the tagline of the show bad leaders react good leaders plan and great leaders think. So you have a lot of bad leaders out there who are reacting. And that's, you know, again, mm -hmm. I don't know, but it's not hard to surmise that this move was a reaction to an edict to cut cost mm -hmm. or a, you know, you know, got to make my bonus uh, for this, for this quarter or this, this year. So I, I got to, I got to get my cost down to do this. I'm going to look like a hero yeah. to the boss. If I come up with this clever way of using technology to get rid of a few jobs and, and automate this, and, and I'm not against automation at all, but what I am against is, is thoughtless automation and, and doing things without thinking them through and understanding what the consequences are. And that's, I mean, that goes to the heart of what we do with red team thinking is, is, is it's all about spending. It's not all about, cause it's about other things as well, but a big part of it is about spending a few minutes up front thinking things through to avoid spending hours, days, or years undoing the damage that you create with a bad decision that's ill-conceived. Absolutely. And I think it goes back to what you said about why these things happening. It's this 
behavioral shift towards cost cutting and looking like you're the person who made those cuts by doing whatever it is you do. And coupled with that, we have what's what I call the seduction of technology. And we're in this digital era now and have been for the last you know two decades where everybody's been seduced by digital automation, RPI, RPAs, you know, robotics, AI, bots. And because they believe it's going to give them the speed, they almost hand off to them. And, but it's exactly what you said. And it's that other mantra we talk a lot about slowing down to speed up. These things are great. It's like the tools we talk about. It's like agile and lean. They are great tools, 21st century tools. But if you're not thinking of how you apply them correctly in the circumstances, in the situation, in the environment, then they're going to literally blow up in your face sometimes. So by all means, use them, but understand them, take the time to beta test them, roll them out slowly, understand what they're going to do to your customers, to your business, and then rapidly accelerate once you've proven that. But if you just go all in up front at pace, as we've seen so many times, then the outcome is not going to be what you intended to be. And obviously, more often than not, it's potentially going to give you an adverse outcome that you had in the first place. So it costs you more through the errors you create by trying to go too fast without having your railroad mapped out in front of you as required, I think. Yeah. So that, you know, and that gets into to one of the big cognitive biases, which is automation bias. And we haven't talked about automation bias. Back in 2012, one of the first Wall Street trading firms to turn their 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 account, their portfolio entirely over to an AI was Knight Capital. And they almost went bankrupt after their, their algorithm made $440 million in bad trades in just 45 minutes. And you wow. think to yourself, if we're, if we're going to be pioneers in this area, if we're going to turn our portfolio over to a machine, probably we should be looking over its shoulder for a few months to make you, sure it knows think, what it's doing. You'd think, <laughs> but no, they didn't. And, and the reason why is simple. It's automation bias. People tend to trust machines and the recommendations that they get from machines more than they trust their own eyes, more than they trust themselves, more than they trust other people. And, you know, in some cases, I understand why, because, you know, we talk, I mean, you know, people are more prone to cognitive biases than, than machines are, but machines are also not air free. And we have partly, there's a lot of cultural and, 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 and historical reasons for this, but we have reached the point where we tend to uh, become so reliant on machines and, and on the data and indicators that they provide that we will believe it over our own eyes. So that an interesting way that they've studied this is by looking at, at professional pilots. And they found that in simulators, when they when they simulated machine malfunctions, and I don't mean when I don't mean mechanical malfunctions, I mean I mean data malfunctions on the cockpit uh, instrument panels, they found that more than half of pilots either disregarded important information when automated systems failed to alert them to it, or even worse, made a dangerous mistake based on the erroneous information that they were that they were given. And we've seen that happen not just in simulators, but unfortunately, tragically, in the real world too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I remember there was an Air France crash, I think it was coming out of a, 
Rio back in late 2000s. And it crashed into the Atlantic, if you remember. And everyone's mm-hmm. like, absolutely unheard of. And I think when they got the voice recorder out, the aircraft was in a stall position. And the right. pi- autopilot was telling them, stall, stall, stall. And because the pilots and engineer convinced themselves it couldn't be doing that, they ignored it. And the aircraft stalled and crashed into the ocean. And the cockpit was the voices of the crew all disagreeing with each other because they were in a state of confusion rather than trusting the time that the aircraft was stalling and they should have taken over. They didn't. And the opposite opposite happened. That was Air France 447. And it it crashed in uh, 2009, I believe. Um, And... It was flying through a thunderstorm over the Atlantic, and the uh, the the sensors on the wings, the, the pitos, the, yeah. the pitos froze. They got they got iced over, and so they weren't functioning. And they they uh, as you said, the the cockpit recorder said that the 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 uh, computer was saying pull up, pull up, pull up, and yet they could hear on the cockpit audio, the entire cockpit shaking as the plane was stalling. And the point that the investigators made was that any, I mean, a Cessna pilot on their, on their second solo flight should know that if the plane's bucking like that, it means that you're, you're stalling. And the worst thing in the world you could do is pull up. And yet they did because the machine told them to pull up and hundreds of people died because of that. And that's not the only one. I mean, there, there's, there's been several plane crashes that are attributed to automation bias. And, uh, you know, you, yeah. not just, just, you know, recently, I mean, going back to one of the first ones was uh, Eastern Airlines 401 in 1972, where they got faulty indicators too, and that led to a crash. There's been several since then. And it's, uh, you know, this is a dangerous tendency for us to not check what we get from machines. And I know that when I was researching my book, Red Teaming, and I was looking into some of these studies that the FAA and NASA had conducted into why pilots do this, they found that there was a series of experiments they did where there, there was, a, there was a, a indicator light that came on in the simulator showing that they had an engine failure. And on, the, on whatever the, 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 the plane that they were using for these experiments, in addition to the to the idiot lights that just come on and say you have an engine failure, you can look at the engine operational metrics. You could see the the RPMs and stuff like this. If they had looked at the gauges, it was clear the engines were working fine. But in over half the cases, they assumed they had an engine failure because the light was blinking and saying they had an engine failure. This this goes exactly, I think, to where we are today. You talk about you know, the, the pilots who don't fall foul of this are the old pilots, the ex-Vietnam pilots, the Sullys of the world. You know, if yeah. Sully had have listened to what his automation was telling him, he wouldn't have landed safely on the Hudson. Right. You know, he'd have crashed and killed everyone on board. But I think today, and we see that, just think of it every day. When I was a kid, I remember used to going out with a family. We'd planned the trip. You know, we had these big AA Automobile Association atlases in the car roadmaps, and it'd be great to sit through. I used to learn so much. And then we had the TomTom navigation that came in. So people stopped using navigation. And now we have your iPhone, your Google Maps or whatever. Right. Turn that off. People become lost. They're not able to navigate just north. I mean, even even America, the north, south, east, west grid system is so easy. 
people lose their minds when their phones go off and they can't have a signal. Give them a map, they wouldn't know which way to turn it up. And if you start to see that in the automation world, the over-reliance on that, how many Teslas have crashed with idiots setting autopilot and thinking the car is now able to drive itself safely? And then there's a fatal accident, which we saw with the the Tesla S. And I think it's it's this laziness that we've moved into of relying on this. And even when all your instruments are telling you everything's fine and something tells you it's wrong, you go with the automation. Whether it's telling you false or truth, it doesn't matter. You end up making the wrong decision because you don't have those cognitive skills because you're not thinking you're allowing someone else, something else to be outsourced to do the thinking for you. You're outsourcing your thinking in this case to a machine. Yeah, to your car, iPhone. And obviously, you know, these, these examples of planes crashing, cars crashing are tragic. But I also want to talk about how this impacts business decisions that may not be life or death, but certainly can cost a lot of money and be career ending for people. Let's take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk about automation bias in business. In today's complex world, organizations need to focus on innovation, adaptive leadership, and people engagement. And to do that, they need to enable psychological safety and build trust. And in doing so, that encourages diversity of thought and allows you to engage critical thinking. But how do you do all that? That's why we created the Red Team Thinking Bootcamp, a workshop that teaches you about the mindset required, along with some tools and techniques that you can start using right away. So December the 13th is the next session. Go to redteamthinking.com, click on training, and hopefully we'll see you then. Welcome back. So we were talking about this this horrible debacle uh, of of Kentucky Fried Chicken KFC's uh, Crystal Knock post, and we started talking about how automation bias impacts aviation and and self driving cars and stuff. But I really want to come back and talk about how automation bias comes into play in business because we're at a time where a lot of companies, not just yum brands, are are turning over important parts of their business to to intelligent machines, AIs, algorithms, whatever you want to call it, whatever the case may be. And 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 that's you know that's understandable. That's not a bad thing inherently, because the way that I look at at, at AI and machine learning is these are these are force multipliers. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a demonstrable fact right now that there is there's not a human stock trader in the world that could do a better job picking stocks than the best stock picking AIs. But does that mean that we should simply turn all stock trading over to AIs and take people out of the loop? No. I mean we you know again night capital 440 million dollar loss in in 45 minutes. The opportunity is to use AI in conjunction with human decision makers to make human decision makers make better decisions is what I what I see because even though one of the things that we talk about is is that Adam Smith was wrong and how his rational choice theory has been proven wrong by folks like Daniel Kahneman, Amos Tversky and others there is still an element of truth to what he said, which is that the better the information you have, the better decisions you can make. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean you 
where he was wrong was saying that you will make better decisions if you have <laughs> no guarantees, better information. But AIs are, are, are incredibly valuable at sifting through information and, and coming up with relevant information and identifying patterns yeah, that absolutely. humans can't see. But they still need to have the, the, the human decision maker, I think, involved to, to maximize their value and to prevent really stupid things from happening like we've just been talking about. Yeah, they do. And I think one of the one of the frustrations I've seen with it of late is in the financial services from the fraud aspect, where mm-hmm. you now know that every time you're using your card, that you know there is some AI program reviewing what you're spending and then right. clamping down and denying. I, I can't. I've lost count how the the increase in the number of times my cards being blocked when I've been spending. And I've had to go through the use. You know, then you get an automated service to speak to somebody, and then you know. You but know how many times have you had your card stolen? Though it's not stolen, never. Right. See, I mean, yeah. it's. Exactly. See, I would it's argue that that's not a bad thing necessarily, yeah. because yeah. I would rather, I would rather uh, take a call for thirty seconds from American Express saying, you know, is this really you buying this this iPad? Yeah. Than have somebody, as happened to me a few years ago steal my, my card. credit card information and uh, and go and try to buy an iPad uh, themselves. And, and, you know, it's amazing to me how I, I was talking last time this happened to me where I was actually buying an iPad. And they they told me that uh, when they called that their, their algorithms flag, you know, they know that one of the first things that thieves do when they steal a credit card is head to the nearest Apple store. Buy tech with it. But yeah. particularly Apple. Mm-hmm. They said, and so um, that you know, and and I live in a rural area, so they look at the AI looks and sees that my last transaction was a hundred miles away from the Apple store, and then suddenly the next day I'm buying something at the Apple store, and it goes, wait a second, he doesn't live Hang there, on. yeah, and you know, um, so I think that's kind of cool, actually. It is. It, it only isn't cool because I know this is where the frustration is where you've been bidding on something <laughs> and then you've got to wait 10 minutes and you're like, damn, it's gone. <laughs> and your card's been stopped. I've had those a few times, but hey, first of all problems. But no, I think it's, <laughs> it's true. But I think it is fascinating how within business, these automation biases that are out there are just ill-considered. And I, I think given the opportunity that there is and the good you can put them to, You've got to take this time to consider all of the potential outcomes, the what ifs, the so what's, the the domino effect of using them. And that doesn't take a lot of time, but you just have to take some time to do that analysis, which which again, where we see the errors, the post-mortem shows that that time wasn't taken. And there was an assumption that this is out of the box, plug and play and off you go. And we often see that that's not the case. Well, you know, it's like, you know, here's the thing is you have two scenarios where where automation of decision making comes into play. And one is where you need to make a decision rapidly. Like the example, you know, someone's put presented a credit card at Mm -hmm. a retail shop and, you know, they're either going to get you're either going to authorize the payment or you're not. You don't have time to have somebody. Yeah, that's parameter driven. And that Instant. has to be parameter yeah, driven. Absolutely. Then there's then there's the use of AIs to identify patterns and, and develop theses based on analyzing data. And that is not 
in, in most cases, that's not something that requires an immediate decision. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm a decision maker and I'm lucky enough to have, to have in my organization, you know, uh, access to that type of artificial intelligence that can provide me with marketplace data, that can provide me with customer data, that can, yeah. that can model different scenarios for me. That's great. But I would want to make sure that that's one piece of information yes, that I can consider. It can't be the sole information channel. It can't be the sole data form. Yeah. Right. It should, it should inform my decision-making, but I would want to still make sure that I'm understanding what it's saying, that my team's understanding what it's saying and that, that and that it's the relevant information. And that's why, you know, a, 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 as you know, when we teach our tool, Assumptions challenge. One of the questions that we use to interrogate assumptions is, is this based on an analogy or a historical precedent? And if the answer is yes, is that still relevant? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times, you know, it, it, machines, the, the, the old saying still holds true, garbage in, garbage out. And if, and if a machine is basing its prediction model, predictive models on outdated Mm-hmm. behaviors on things that are no longer relevant, it could come up with the right answer at the wrong time. Correct. And what was the other saying? Is it to err is human, but to really screw things up takes a computer? <laughs> I remember that. Because again, yeah. as you said, it can do the right thing at the wrong time. But I think it goes back to the seduction piece and the way our brains work. You, know, you talked about Kahneman. What we're seeing here is we're lazy and therefore yeah. we are preferring to go with that. And because we're lazy, we know that the system one type thinking, that quick intuitive thinking is kicking in. But as we also know, system one is normally highly error prone. And therefore, if we've been lazy and trusting one source, an automated source, and not validating that with other data or challenging it with a checks and balances type capability and using other people to validate or question, then we're not applying system two thinking. We're not taking that moment of mindfulness to engage our brains, to look at things right. from a critical thinking aspect. And again, that doesn't take a long time. And by doing that, same as with the assumptions challenge, same as with many of these very rapid tools and techniques and mental cognitive processes that you can apply, it can just make you, as we talk about, stop, breathe, think. You know, and just that moment of doing that allows that pause, consider, and then do we agree that's the right thing and make the decision or do we request more data or do we run the program again to get the second round? Does it come out the same as it did the first time? Absolutely. And that's, that's a great advice. Again, don't outsource thinking even to machines. The second part of this, going back to the KFC situation though, too, is before you get to the decision, the decision to automate, a process, the decision to turn responsibility over for, of, of something over to an AI. And that's where, again, I think our, 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 some of our red team thinking tools, like I'm thinking in particular pre-mortem analysis, yeah. you don't have to spend a lot of time doing a pre-mortem analysis if you're an executive at Yum Brands to look at this proposal to create a bot to scour calendars of every country in the world where we do business, find holidays and celebrations and commemorations and generate social content 
automatically based on that. You don't need to, to spend a lot of time doing a pre-mortem to simply ask the question, if that plan fails, how could it fail? I mean, it, 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 it's so simple. And yet nobody did that clearly. Nobody did no. that. I know. And I've, I've done three pre-mortems in the last month with clients and classes. And I love one of the feedbacks we just recently got. The storytelling method of why pre-mortem is important is uncomfortable, but crucial. And that's the problem. People right. do not like to be uncomfortable. If you challenge someone and it makes them uncomfortable, they'll retort, they'll yeah. react. People, for me, you need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable in today's automated world, in today's complex world. Because if you don't, then bad things are gonna happen. It's crucial that you accept it's, and, and I think the problem is people, people don't think it's okay to feel like that. Right. You know, if you're the person in the room and goes, I'm not comfortable with this. This is making me feel a little bit icky or the hairs on the back of my neck are standing up when you're talking about this. People think, well, if you say that, then you're going to be the, the black sheep in the corner and get dismissed. Where actually those are the people, they're the dissenters again that Kahneman talks about, you know, protect your dissenters. They're the people who are seeing something. And we saw this run in the pre-mortem class, the things that people were coming up with, having allowed themselves to be uncomfortable was revelationary. Because the, yeah. the brain, again, the brain goes to a different place. And we've worked with Dr. Gary Klein. He talks about that, where when you move your cognitive loading into a different, darker area, different thoughts, different concepts will start to emerge. And if you do that as a group, then you're almost going to get the power to contradict anything that you may think may you know, not happen or may happen due to whatever automation process you put in place. And this is an essential skill, what you're talking about, Huge. getting comfortable yeah. with ambiguity. I, I saw an interview a couple of years ago with a special forces general in the United States. And he was talking to a journalist and, and she was asking him about all the different geopolitical problems going on in the world. And, uh, you know, how does the U.S. military prepare for these? And, he, and his answer was, well, you know, we have to learn to become comfortable with ambiguity. And, you know, he said, we, you know, we live in a VUCA world, volatility, yeah. uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And the only way to navigate that world is to become comfortable with ambiguity. She asked him, what, what does it mean to be comfortable with ambiguity in a kind of nervous voice? And he basically said, well, if you have to ask, you're not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and, and the thing is though, is that that is true of, 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 militaries, but it's just mm -hmm. as true for businesses now too. Absolutely. If you want to succeed in business, you have to get comfortable with ambiguity. You have to be willing to ask those uncomfortable questions yeah. and you have to cultivate that in yourself because yeah, nobody likes to be in the position where people are, are, are challenging their, their wonderful idea, but you know, you can train yourself to overcome that. I, I was somebody who didn't like to be questioned on stuff. But as I, as I learned about red teaming and, and started developing red team thinking, I got to the point where when, when I start to feel that tingly sense of like, I don't like this, you know, somebody's pushing back on me here. Yeah. I get, I get a smile on my face. It's like, Ooh, you know, yeah. now, now we're, somebody's red teaming me. Let this okay, go stick in. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And, and you've seen that in me. I'll, I'll like uh -huh. stop in the middle of, 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 yeah. of trying to convince you of something and say, yeah. Oh, okay. Let's talk about that. Let's and you have, that's, that's what you have to cultivate as a leader today. That's where because the growth if you happens. Don't, it's where the growth happens, yeah. and it's where the 
error avoidance happens too. Yeah. Because every time you do that, you're thinking more deeply about the problem. You're challenging yeah. your own assumptions. That's you're right. challenging your own thinking. And most importantly of all, you're thinking rather than reacting. Correct. And that blind spot that has been blind will come into your vision without a doubt. Right. Because it goes back to what the general was saying. You know, we're in the gray zone now. This is how we operate. We're in the gray zone. And the that's whole a military world. term. But the whole yeah. world is now operating the gray zone. Very rarely are we black and white, black or white. We want to push ourselves to that clarity. But it's very hard to get there. And the way you get there is through the tools, techniques, the concepts of challenging and critical thinking. But sometimes you're not going to get there. You have to continually roll in the gray zone. And if you're there, get comfortable and yeah. allow your people around you to equally challenge you, to challenge yourself, to pause, to, to slow down and just look at things from different perspectives, ask for different perspectives. And if you do that, yes, use the automation to bolster that but not to drive what it is you're trying to achieve and where you're trying to go. Great advice. And once again, where do we end up? Don't outsource thinking. All you need to know, folks, thanks for listening. Thank you for tuning in to The Thinking Leader. Check the show notes for more information about the topics covered in this episode there. You'll also find a link to our free assessment. Click on it right now to find out if you are a red team thinker with a red team culture.